0: Today, it is a privilege and an honor for me to to introduce you to uh, and to bring to our pulpit today, Pastor Dan Betzer. He's been a pastor in Fort Myers, Florida for uh, 31 years. Some of you who've been around for a while will remember Revival Time, a great Revival Time speaker, internationally known uh, speaker, and a great leader and influence in our generation, for the glory of God's kingdom. And it's just a, a privilege to have him w- here with us. And I, I love, I've always loved to hear a pastor speak. I've always loved to hear hear his messages because they, they come right down from the Word of God and build faith in our lives. You're going to have faith built in your life today as we hear this. I want you to welcome, it's again an honor, welcome him today, Pastor Dan Betzer. Pastor, come.
1: Good morning, Saints. Are you a saint? Absolutely. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you, and you are a saint. So I'll give you a second chance. Good morning, Saints. <laughs> it's a joy to be with you. I love your pastor, I think he's one of the smartest men I ever met. I want to be just like him someday when I grow up, get big. Your building is gorgeous. Oh, this is beautiful. I've been around a little bit. This is one of the most unusual, lovely buildings I've ever seen. God bless you for what you've done. Thank the Lord for his goodness to you. Well, how many of you, I asked the first crowd this. We'll see how you do. How many of you are Pentecostal? Hold up your hand. Yeah, well, we're going to see, aren't we? (laughs) Hey. We stand on Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. By the way, there are more chapters than two. There's 26 more that follow it. Talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was the great seminal moment in my life. Changed everything about me. When the day of Pentecost, what was, what in the world was the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost was fully come. They, the hundred or so believers in and around Jerusalem, were in one place, all in one accord, all agreement in one place, Mark's mother's house there on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a, rushing mighty wind didn't say it was a wind it said it sounded like one filled all the house where they were sitting you know one of the things i love about this church is that you sit most pentecostal churches they make you stand for days (laughs) i'm 80 i don't want to stand for days I want to sit. The great verse in the Bible, and Jesus made them to sit down. I tell pastors and ministers retreats, if you want to have revival in your church, sit down. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out to people who were sitting. That's all I wanted to tell you. Now you can go home. All the house where they were sitting, there appeared... On them, onto them, split cloven tongues of fire sat upon each of them. Wow. As far as we know, that was never never done again, replicated. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It all happened on the day of Pentecost, which was the day of... Okay, let's start again. Thank you, Pastor Johnson. How many of you are really Pentecostal? How can you be what you don't know what you are? Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, was the annual Jewish day to celebrate harvest. Isn't it amazing? God sovereignly chose a harvest festival to pour out the Holy Spirit, which ties right in with Acts 1.8. Ye shall receive power. Wow. We don't talk about that one very much. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come on you. After the Holy Ghost has come on you, you'll have this power which will enable you to be my witnesses all over the world. Pentecostal churches are worldview churches. I have pastors tell me all the time, well, Brother Dan, my mission field is Poughkeepsie. No, that's part of your mission field. It's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Go ye into all the world. God so loved the world. So great Pentecostal churches are worldview churches. I talked a minute ago about the baptism, and I was thinking about that as we started the service today, how the Holy Spirit makes you think differently. You respond differently. A case in point, a few years ago, Fort Myers, where I live, down in Florida, is a tourist town, so there are probably a half a dozen adult nightclubs there, which is just where People can't afford to buy clothes, you know, so they dance without them. So a new club was opening in town, and uh, I got a phone call from another pastor, not a Pentecostal. He said, have you heard about the new club? I said, yeah. He said, well, a lot lot of our churches are going together, and we've got these signs, and uh, we're going down there tonight, and we're going to march around this building, close this place down, indecent, so on and so forth and we want First Assembly people to join us. I said, no, we're not gonna do that. That's not the brightest idea I've ever heard. Well, what do you mean it's not bright? I said, well, who's gonna be there when you get there tonight at six o'clock? I'll tell you who's gonna be there. The local news media will be there with their cameras. And at six o'clock tonight, all of Southwest Florida is going to see you guys in your church and the other churches marching around this adult nightclub. Well, he said, so what? I said, I'll tell you, so what? There are hundreds of thousands of people who watch that. There's going to be some old boy out there nursing a Bud Light or a Bud, and about half stewed. He's sitting in his recliner watching the news, and he says, well, look at there. There's a whole new club out there I didn't even know, know, know existed before. Are you're doing is advertising. He said, Do you have a better idea? I said, no. But now that you've brought it up, I'm going to pray that God gives me one. Well, about that time on a Sunday morning, a lady walked into one of our church services sat way in the back. Her name was Jeannie Turner. She had been married five times and was now living with a guy who wasn't her husband. She's our woman of Samaria. She got marvelously saved. I mean, just gloriously saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And a couple of months later, she and our women's director came in to see me and Jeannie had an idea. She said, those people in those clubs need the Lord. I said, how do you approach that? She said, God's given me a plan she said the women's ministry this is not a men's ministry guys this is a women's ministries said for one week we will focus in prayer on one of those clubs and she said on friday night big night i and several others will go in with beautifully wrapped gifts and we will stand there for a moment and we'll pray god one of these dancers is going to meet you tonight Show us which one. She said, the first night we walked in there, (laughs) it was, we walked in there, and, and the Lord pointed out to me, Jeannie said, a lady up on the stage, name was Melissa. She said, I was in fear and trembling, but this is what God told us to do. She said, I walked right up on the stage, walked right up to her and said, hello, my name is Jeannie. And I want you to have this gift, not a condemnation, not a a piece of literature, a gift. Why do you want to give me this gift? Jeannie said, because I love you. But Jesus loves you more. And Melissa dropped like a shot onto the stage, sobbing. And she looked up at Jeannie, and she said, are you an angel? Jeannie said, no, I'm farthest thing from an angel. Melissa said, well, to me, you're an angel. She said, I am so sick of this business, which is very lucrative, by the way. She said, I'm so sick of this business that today, for the first time, I prayed. I prayed, Lord, I can't take this anymore. And unless you do something transcendent, when I get home tonight, I'm going to kill myself, unless you send me an angel. Are you an angel? Melissa said, I guess I am. Or Jeannie said, I guess I am. Melissa became the director for our bus ministry for years. Since that time, over 150 of those dancers and a couple of the bouncers have found the Lord as their Savior. See, it's the Good Samaritan principle. Jesus talked about the man that got beaten up on the road to Jericho. He said, the good, Jesus said, the Good Samaritan went to where the man was because the man couldn't come to him. Well, that's what missions are all about. We're going to where the people are. In much of the world, there's no church, there's no place to hear the gospel, there's no Christian TV or radio or Christian bookstores. In Russia alone, which I love so desperately, there are 20,000 towns and villages where you couldn't hear the gospel if your life depended on it, which it does. By the way, it's what Paul asked in Romans, how can people believe in somebody they've never heard? And how can they hear of him unless somebody tells them? How can somebody tell them unless they go? How can they go unless they're sent? It's a good exercise in logic for you. That's what missions is about. Let me talk to you about the Holy Spirit for a minute. We Pentecostals are. I don't know what we think the baptism's for, just to jump up and down and jiggle. and It's an empowering thing. You think differently. You act differently. You respond differently. What's the difference in a good civic club and a church? Civic clubs do good things. Rotary, Lions, Kiwanis. And they're very similar to churches. They meet once a week. They have dues. We call it tithes. Sometimes they sing. They eat a lot. (laughs) So what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. Everything that a civic club does, and there's some great things, They accomplish by natural means. You can explain it by natural means. But the church, on the other hand, that's really a Pentecostal church. The only way you can explain a Pentecostal church is by the supernatural. Most churches don't know a hill of beans about it. Somebody just sang Limitless, that's a good song, Limitless. You think differently, you respond differently. And I have pastors tell me all over the country, we don't support missions much because we can't afford it. No, you can't afford not to, and I'll prove it to you in the next hour and a half. No, listen, I, I know about the trap door up here. <laughs> you ever been up on this platform? The, on the, the floorings, these big squares. And I don't know which one's the one. <laughs> so I just kind of move around a little bit. I, I uh, spent most of my life in, in the media. I started broadcasting in 1940 when I was three. Seriously. And I've been in it for 77 years. All I ever wanted to be was a newscaster. By the time I was in high school, I was doing television news then college, and I loved it. For some reason, not only God, he called me into the ministry. And I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, except don't send me north. I grew up in the north, and I don't do well in cold weather. And, buddy, it's cold up here. I, uh... I said, I want a beach ministry. And God is so merciful, and he let me spend the next 16 years on a beach. The beach was Lake Erie. (laughs) You want to specify, you know, more carefully. Started a church. I didn't know anything about a church. Didn't come from a ministerial family. Came from a godly family, but not a ministerial family. So we had a first year we had about ninety hundred people. Those of you who read my new book, this is in that book. Our whole budget for the year, now this is fifty years ago. Sixty years, 60 years ago. The whole budget for the year was sixteen thousand dollars, three hundred and some dollars a week. But we couldn't even come close to it. I'd preach on tithing. People would say, Hey man, brother, preach it. We'd pass the offering basket, nothing. <laughs> After the first year, we were thousands of dollars in the red in the general fund. Well, you can't operate like that. And then it, I got very ill because I don't like pressure like that. Got very ill. And while I was down, the Lord said, now, Dan, I'm going to teach you divine economics. Well, Lord, why aren't you blessing us? And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm not blessing you because you're not in the same business I'm in. What do you mean I'm not in the same business? Well, then, you're in the church business. I'm in the redemption business. You get in the redemption business, I'll take care of your church business. It's a shock to me. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, Lord said, I want you to first of all have a missions convention. <laughs> I said, Oh God. <laughs> have you ever been to a missionary convention? It's Snore City, you know. I, 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 missionaries used to come around. Do you, do you remember slides? You young people don't know what slides were. So exciting. And missionaries would come by with their projectors and their little clickers, you know, to change the slide. Here we have a tree. Here's another tree. A whole bunch of trees. African trees. I mean, just you turn on the lights. And the, and the final slide, always, the final slide. Here we see the sun sinking into the sea. And the light is going out. No man can work. Ninja turned the house lights on all over the church. (laughs) And I was there. I saw this. You cannot make this up. I was there, my hand on this holy book. I was there. I saw it. The missionary said, This is a picture of my wife and our pet chimpanzee. My wife is the one on the right. It's a truth. (laughs) It's a truth. (laughs) Yeah, you had to raise an offering after that. (laughs) I said, oh, God, missions. The Lord said, I'll tell you how to run them. I'll tell you how to do them. So over all of these years, the missionary convention every November, or whenever it's done, but we do it in November, is the motor of the church. It drives everything. Everything gets shut down. And for nine days, it's missions, 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 missions. And we have a missionary every week, at least in one service. Missions convention, we have about a dozen come in. It's missions. So I said, I will have a missions convention. Then the Lord said, I want you to bring in Oswald J. Smith as your first speaker. Well, he died when he was 97. 97. Billy Graham said that Smith was the greatest influence in his life. Mine, too. Changed my life totally. He was a cantankerous, cranky old man. Not a motivator, but godly. Fire came out of his eyes. Incredible. And the Lord said, I want you to have a faith promise goal. Faith promise is not a pledge. This is not semantics. A pledge is what you can do out of your income, your savings, whatever. That's usually pretty limited. That's why people get all tight when you talk about it. I can't. You're right. You can't. So don't even talk about a pledge. But a faith promise eliminates you as the source and makes God the source. And we've just said, we're Pentecostal people. We're harvesters. You are not the source God is. So God said, I want you to have a faith promise this first time of $20,000. <laughs> oh, Lord. Our whole budget is 16000 and we're not even touching it. God said, I don't care about your budget. Couldn't care less about your budget. I care about your obedience, you do what I tell you, I'll take care of you. So Smith came in, he ripped us to shreds, who do you think you are, he said, how many times have you heard the gospel, a Five hundred? some of you have heard the gospel a thousand times, what makes you so special, when about half the world's never heard it the first time, why should you hear it twice? till everybody's heard it once. I didn't tell this in the first service, but it was rough. I mean, the first, it was terrible. He just ripped us apart. And I knew that Monday night there'd be nobody there. There were more people there on Monday night. And Tuesday night, we were setting up chairs in the lobby for people. I thought, what kind of people am I pastoring here? They called their friends. You want to have your hide ripped off in our church? Good, come with me. People were coming from everywhere, and Tuesday night revolutionized my life. I was sitting behind that old man as he spoke, and I felt the Lord speak to my heart. Dan, do you believe what he's saying? Oh, yes, Lord, I believe it with all my heart. God said, good, sell your car and give the money to missions. (laughs) Excuse me? sell your car, and give the money to missions. I love cars. Boy, I love cars. When I get to heaven, I don't want any wings sprouting out my back. I want a Maserati. I love cars. And a year before, Darlene and I had bought, and this was a long time ago, we had bought a new Pontiac Bonneville with the long fins, you know, that go back into the next county it was a gorgeous car 36 36 payments we'd made 12, 24 to go so God would not not ask you to do something like that what kind of a God is that so I didn't say say anything about it, got home that night Darlene had put the kids to bed my gorgeous wife, we just had our 60th wedding anniversary by the way so she's made, uh, she's made some coffee and some little cookies, and we're sitting there, and she looked at me with those gorgeous, luscious brown eyes. She said, Dan, hmm, tonight in the service, did God tell you to sell our car and give the money to missions? I said, yes. <laughs> well, she said, you better do it. So the next morning, I went down to the newspaper and put an ad in the paper, and my mama didn't raise a moron. And I put a price on that car that only an idiot would pay. <laughs> and the next Monday, I watched the idiot drive it away. <laughs> I had the money in my hand. So I said, Darlene, I'll go down to the bank and pay off the lien, and whatever's left we'll give to mission. She said, I don't think that's what God wants. She said, I think God wants it all. I said, we can't do that. I'll go to prison. i got to lean. She said, you just go explain to that nice old banker. So I went down to the bank, which is the most beautiful building within 100 miles. All Greek marble, Gorgeous. Oh, I love to go in that bank building. It was like going into a European cathedral. Met with the bank president. He said, well, sure, that'd be fine. Your signature's fine. So I paid off the lien and took, what, took, all, uh, took all, I didn't pay off a lien. Just took all the money from the car and gave it to the missions. By the way, a couple years later, our little home missions church bought that bank building. So now you're going to say, well, you sold your car, gave it all to missions. Yeah. God gave you a new car, didn't he? No, no, you've been watching too much Christian television. Missionaries don't give the money back. I've, I've never heard of a missionary giving the money back. Well, you, you, you got nothing. No. All we had to drive was a beat up old car that we'd been using as a second car. It was a beat up old rusted out green Rambler. Man, I hate Ramblers. I think if you get to heaven, God will say, Welcome to heaven. Here's your Maserati. If you go to hell, Satan will say, welcome to hell, here's your rambler. <laughs> I hated that car. Because while God loves a cheerful giver, he'll also take it from a grouch. <laughs> Months went by, drove that, I hated that car. You put the key in the ignition, there's no motor in this car. There's a tape recorder that's playing an engine running, that's That's it. About six months later, I get a big, thick packet in the mail from that missionary, and I open it up and there were pictures in there of a church in Africa, not like this, but a cement slab and poles sticking up and corrugated tin over it, benches made of cement blocks with planks on them. Probably five or six hundred Africans in there, praising the Lord, all built with the money from that old Pontiac. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, "What do you think impressed God more at Bonneville or that church? See, you just think differently. You just think differently. So I had Smith come in, and the offering that Sunday, he was with us for all the, that whole week, the offering that Sunday in a church that could not raise three hundred dollars a week for general fund. The offering for missions was $32,000. As suddenly it dawned on people, we don't live over here in this civic club mentality, everything by the natural. We're living in a heavenly realm where supernatural things happen to God's people. And you cannot explain it. Explain it to us, Better I can't. I can't. Only God can do things like this. This is what faith promises are. Now, about 30 years ago, um, I'm so scared of this trap up here. <laughs> about 30 years ago, I get a call to go to Fort Myers to pastor the church down there. I didn't want to go there. Last place in the world I wanted to go was there. It was a troubled church. It was half what it used to be. It was full of crazy doctrine, it's, it's ridiculous doctrine. Uh, no holiness mores. I mean, you could do anything you wanted. I didn't want to go there. They owed millions of dollars and a declining church. But God sent us there. So, long story short, I candidated, got the vote. The district superintendent who conducted the business meeting said, Now you've elected your new pastor, brother and sister Betzer, and their children. Come down and greet them. And all the people filed by. There were 878 people there. They all came by. Oh, we're so glad you're here. We've been praying you'd come. Oh, we just love you so much. And anything we can do. And the first year, 400 of them left. They left in droves, men, and cars and trucks buses, taxi cabs, they just left, because they didn't want to hear about holiness. They didn't want to hear about doctrine. Doctrine? Yeah, that's the skeleton that your spiritual flesh rests on. What do you believe? Oh, we don't want to hear that. We want to jump and shout and scream. Oh, really? Your church is dying and you want to scream? 400 of them left. And those that stayed, some of them were really mean. I mean really mean. One guy, while we were sleeping one night, came to my house, ran a long fuse into the gas tank of my car, and blew it up. (laughs) Went on the police blotter as attempted murder. Assembly of God member. Do you know that mean Assemblies of God people are the meanest people in the world? (laughs) Oh, they are. They're meaner than Baptists. Because, see, you can be a Baptist and be mean, but you're eternally secure, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) But if you're Assemblies of God, you know if you're mean, you're going to burn in hell. That makes you even meaner, you know. Had the windows in the church shot out. Had terrible mail, filthy mail. Death threats. I prayed every morning, oh, God, get me out of here, please. Just... I didn't want to come here in the first place. I tried to tell you, just get me out of here. The Lord said, Dan, have a missionary convention. (laughs) Oh, God. We owe millions of dollars. We're just a couple months out of receivership. The bank's going to take. God said, I don't care about your building. can't Can't I get that through to you? I don't care about your building. I care about people going to hell. Now you take care of that, I'll take care of your building. So we had a missions convention. The year before, the church, that poor church had given $16,000 to missions total. So I put together a group of laity. I really believe in the laity. God bless you people. What you've done here is phenomenal. God bless you, laity. And I believe in you and I called six or seven of Our Lady together and just poured out my heart about missions. Last year, we gave 16,000. We're about to lose the building. We owe millions of dollars. Let's have a faith promise goal. And in my heart, I was praying that they would believe God for $100,000 for missions. Impossible. So they called me back in. They said, Pastor, we've prayed through on this, and we've set a goal for $175,000. And I remember going, (laughs) what faith I had. See, I had to explain this to the people the next Sunday. It's a big round building. Had about one person in every five seats in it. And uh, it's just always an echo. I'd say, good morning. Come out, good morning. You can come back Monday and hear the sermon if you missed it on we're going to have a missionary convention. Out in the audience, what, what, what do you say, Mildred? We're going to have a missions convention. Idiot. Doesn't he know that we're going to lose this building? And we're going to have a faith promise goal of $175,000. Boy, a bunch of people left that morning. Man came up to me and he said, I, I, you're an idiot. He said, you're the worst pastor I've ever seen. He said, I'm leaving the church today. He said, I don't know what you're going to do. He said, I put in $100 a week. And I could just see God fall right off his throne. $100 a week. What are we going to do, angels? So it wasn't fun. that we had the missions convention. And those incredible people gave $226,000 to missions. So what happened? Now here's what Jesus said. Remember him, Jesus? Jesus that we say "Your Lord. Remember him? Jesus said, go you into all the world, not just Fort Myers. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and signs and wonders will follow Oh, They never come first. The supply never comes first. It would be easy to give if we had a million dollars in the bank. We don't have any money there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, and signs and wonders will follow. So a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from a guy I've never met in my life. He said, I want to take you out to lunch. I said, amen to that, brother. My favorite verse is Leviticus 3.16. It says, the fat belongs to the Lord. (laughs) does. Look it up. It's King James, same Bible Paul had. Fat belongs to the Lord. You folks who work out and exercise and diet, you're grieving God. <laughs> Just thought you should know that. So he takes me to this nondescript little restaurant. I don't know this guy. And He said, my wife and I have been looking for a church that features missions. Your church does. We're going to join. I said, great. Now, he said, I understand that in all your buildings there, you, you still owe $100,000 on the gymnasium. I said, yeah, you're right. Well, he said, I don't want to belong to a church that owes $100,000 on a gym. I said, I understand that. I just got here, sir. I inherited all this. Well, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to join a church that, uh, that owes $100,000 on a gym. And he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out his checkbook. Do I make this out to First Assembly? Oh, that'd be wonderful. And I'm thinking, every few dollars is helpful, you know. Tears it off, hands me a check for $100,000. He said, do you think you could go pay off the church this afternoon, off the gym? I said, yeah, I think so. I'd never seen a check for $100,000. Boy, I've seen a lot of them since. I've seen checks for a million. How do you explain that, Pastor? Missions. Missions. I'll have preachers come to see me, make an appointment to see me, sit across my desk. What's the secret here? How come thousands of people attend here? How come you don't have debt? How how come... Uh, missions. No, no, we don't want to hear that. We know that's kind of your sugar stick, better, but we don't want to hear that. I mean, what really is the secret? What's the open sesame? Uh, it's missions. No, 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 no. Don't talk to me. And they leave. It's missions. Jesus said, signs and wonders will follow. I wonder if he meant that. Now he said, I understand you still owe millions of dollars on your facilities. I said, that's right. Back in those days, if you could have borrowed the money, it was 22% interest. That bankrupts you. I used to call our headquarters pastor, trying to get money from the loan department. (laughs) This is Pastor Betzer at First Assembly. Oh, no hablo ingles, and that hang up on me. Couldn't get money anywhere. This guy said, I'm going to loan you right now $2 million. I said, you got $2 million? (laughs) Yeah. He said, I'm going to charge you 8.5%. But for the first year, you don't pay principal, and you don't pay interest. You don't pay me anything. And then the next year, you just pay me interest. And together, we're going to work and pay off this building. And we paid it off. And the church began to grow, began to thrive, and the missions continued to grow. We're now at about the $40 million mark since that time just for missions, not general fund, just for missions. We don't have any money. We don't have any money. We've never had any money. People say, don't you have a slush fund? Hey, I live in South Florida. We don't even have slush. What do we need a fund for? I told the first crowd this morning one of my dearest friends is an old Jewish rabbi, Saul Agan. I love him to death. I've had the joy of preaching in almost all the synagogues down there. Saul came in to see me one day and he says, The word on the street, Betzer, is you got $12 million in in slush fund money. I said, Saul, we got no money. Oh, the word on the street, Betzer, I heard it. It's right from a horse's mouth. You got $12 million. How'd you get the $12 million? I said, Sal, we got no money. We go from Sunday to Sunday. About a week later, he came in to see me unannounced, just burst into my office with a paper sack. Hey, Betcher, you got no money. I brought you a sandwich. I thought that was pretty nice. (laughs) We got no money. But we have God. And we have missions. Eight or ten years ago, when the recession hit, boy, it hit us so hard. Fort Myers was the second hardest-hit city in America in uh, mortgage foreclosure. And the offering started to go down. Board said, what do we do? One of the guys said, do we cut missions? (laughs) Not on my watch. I'm not cutting that lifeline. I said, why don't we test God? Let's add 25 missionaries right now. Add them? Yeah. So We did. And the offerings skyrocketed. Explain it. Oh, I can explain it right out of the book of Proverbs. There is that scattereth, yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is necessary, and it tends to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. (laughs) That good word again, fat. So now it comes to missions. God's going to lay on your heart a figure for this next year. If you're pretty comfortable with it, you say, oh, that's great. We can do that. God probably didn't have anything to do with it. Because what God tells you to do will scare you to death. Because you can't. That's why it's not a pledge. It's a faith promise. We sing, how great thou art. My God is an awesome God. You want me to do what? We think differently, we Pentecostals. We believe differently. Hebrews 11:6 without faith it is impossible to please God. Didn't say without tongues, gifts of healings, those are great. It says without faith. You can't operate where God wants you to operate, personally or as a church, without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, in a moment, you're going to hear a song, and your pastor's coming to receive your faith promises. All of you should have this little card, and this is not for me. I don't want your money. This is for your missions you have this little card? Would you take it out, please? Everybody get a card. If you don't have one, raise your hand. If you don't have one and you don't raise your hand, you will get warts all over your body. In Jesus' name. It's a powerful card for this cause. What cause? For eternal salvation, to keep people from going to hell. That's the cause. As a committed servant in God's kingdom, I make this faith promise, faith promise, not a pledge, as God provides. We never done people, we never keep any records of it down in First Assembly. Then why fill this out? Because it helps us to know how many missionaries we can support and plan for the year to support missionaries and their projects to my generation around the world, and then your faith promise over the next full year. God's going to speak to you as we pray. This is for missionaries through your church. has nothing to do with First Assembly in Fort Myers. Nothing. It's nothing. This is your ministry here. It's sure not coming to me. It's going to support missionaries, every dime, every penny. How big is your faith? What do you think God would do through you this next year? Heavenly Father, I pray as we peruse these cards that you'll speak to every heart, young and old alike, young people, children, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents. We know that our budgets are limited. Of course we do. We're aware of what's going on. But we're also aware of who you are and of your edict. Go into all the world. Well, God, we can't do that without you. We need a supernatural thrust here. And so, Lord, I'm reading this card, and I'm asking you what you want me to do. This is what Darlene and I do every November for the year, and it's scary. It's the single largest expenditure of our family week after week. And somehow you provide all these 60 years you've provided. It's amazing to me. It can't be explained in the natural. Only you could do something like this. We want to be used of you, Lord. We sing songs to be used of God. Well, here's our opportunity. Lord, would you do something supernatural, something transcendent in our lives, I pray. As we hear this song, oh God, move us to write on this card that which you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen.